0: Today, I want to talk about a continued series we started last week on how to have a hard conversation. And uh, this week, it's a kind of a different message. I want to talk today about how to receive a hard conversation, because all of us, if we're going to be faithful to anything in our life, we're going to have some hard conversations. If you're going to be be in a marriage a long time, there's going to be some hard conversations. I mean, I've had to tell Jessica over and over again, I mean, i tell you (laughs) No, the truth is we're pretty sure which way those hard conversations go, right? We all know that, don't we men, right? This is why men like to say things like, yes, I've been house trained, I've been house broke, right? Which means that we've been finally taught not to be cavemen, but to be husbands, that kind of thing. But the truth is you're gonna be married a long time, you're gonna have to have some hard conversations. If you're gonna be in ministry a long time, you're gonna have to have a hard conversation. If you're gonna be at the same job for a long time, that's how you build a career. Is you have to be able to receive some hard feedback and have some hard conversations and, and process that. And so this is a really big deal. And we find it all through the Bible. People having confrontations, whether you're the one having to do the confronting, or whether you're the one having to receive the confronting. Either way, there is a process to that. So we're going to talk about that. Before I get started, though, one of the things that's a part of our culture here at Church Unlimited is we have a feedback culture. What that means is is that we see it all throughout the Bible that God certainly had no problem correcting his children, and so we also want to be correctable because we are the Lord's and he corrects us all the time. We also correct one another. And so I don't know if you know this, but I am corrected every single weekend in my message. And what I mean by that is after the Saturday night service... There is a feedback time where we invite a broad spectrum of people to come in my office after hearing the first sermon and give us feedback. What was good? What was bad? I always say, what made you cringe? What made you go, oh, he didn't say that? I always want to know those so I can correct the cringes that are unnecessary, the cringes that are necessary because the gospel can be offensive. We don't remove those, but we just ask, did this communicate clearly? And so just so you know, that's a big part of who we are is that we are all open to criticism as a staff. And so I thought, rather than just tell you about that, let me show you what it looks like. Check this out. Okay, we good? Yeah. Okay, guys, always like to start off the same thing. And so I always ask, what cringe do we have during the sermon? Is there anything that made you go, uh? You know, so just tell me. I have a little cringe. I was a little long. I think I can tighten it up a little more. I think I can shave five to seven off of that. Mm-hmm. They're looking at their watches, That was one note oh, I that I said is when you started off talking mm-hmm. about COVID at the beginning, uh-huh. you said some, some things over and over again, like five yeah, or six times. Yeah, I time. kind of feel like I you stumbled You stayed a there point. a long time. Yeah. I also didn't say the mission statement at the very beginning. That was one of mine. So I'm going to push that at the front and then go to very the verse. Yeah, very Yeah, I caught that. Um, I noticed when we went back to podium tonight. Was that upon request? No, or just... it wasn't. I felt a little too tied down, too. You, it's funny you, you were... said that. I want to break out. I kind of did for a moment, but I... Mm. I go like, ah, and then I yeah. went back. I'm just gonna right. let production know, like, let's just go with a table yeah. moving forward. Yeah, I'm fine with I'm really fine we with that. Ask for a podium yeah. again. Okay. You're okay. Yeah, yeah, just do that. I think that's great. Okay. The breaks that habit for me too. It's good. Definitely. Yeah. Thank habit. You. Is there a reason why you always walk stage oh. right? You walk stage right. No, I just do. I do it all the time. All just... the time. You're okay. right. You're right. I'm real bad about not looking over um, yeah. also, so no. I, I mean, I you. liked it because I'll mm-hmm. sit on that side tonight. But if I would've been on the other side, I'd be like, hey, be like, hey pay attention. Do you not quick. like me? Right. Hey. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so move both, okay, I got it, yeah. that's a good word. Move around, easy. This could be something that we think about, but making like in the beginning, either a disclaimer or a statement, that if you do actually have anxiety, uh-huh. that you should go to a doctor. Because I know that a lot of times, especially like people my age, we talk about having anxiety, and. It kind of triggers a lot of other people. Uh, that's a good word. That could be my joke. too. Mm-hmm. So I can say, I'm really not a doctor, and I don't play one on TV. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. That would be good. Okay. <laughs> I personally, on this next one, felt a little awkward. The sex transaction oh i felt a little awkward i might be in this boat by myself and if i am you that's can a little by there. design i just felt the whole thing like the way that it was presented like hey close off let's go i was like oh. oh okay and usually when you talk about sex and like you're funny with that yeah, yeah, yeah it doesn't make me feel awkward. okay so but if I, I say it with a little less creepiness like if i just say so uh, you know clean the kitchen this and that so we're like gonna like do it right and I mean, just, just stop it at fine. that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, that's good. No, that's the point. The point is not that. The point is the transactional yeah, nature. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Okay, good. I can easily do that. That's okay. easy fix. Okay, easy okay, fix. okay. Okay, cool. Anything else? So, a ministry moment for me was when you said, God, I'm so sorry, and he says, it's all right. Mm, okay. It hit home. Okay. I think it was good. we all have yeah. something in our lives that we're just... Constantly beating ourselves up over that yeah. we've done, and that was such God's a freeing moment all right. for me. Yeah. Oh, good, good. Thank you for that. I appreciate you sharing that. I'm going to make sure I really slow down on that. That's what people need. That's what, they, that's need what that. That's what they're going to be thinking about the Spirit most. Spirit is so powerful that if we'll bring them Jesus, Jesus will help them come to those other conclusions. Yes. Yeah. So that's what it looks like. My wife actually said to me after being in several of our meetings, she said, people are so nice, like they're way too nice to you. And I said, babe, that's probably because you're married to me. You feel more comfortable just like laying it out there, you know? I said, but I told her one of the other things, too, that happens is it's not I'm not that far off the mark, not because I'm not, but because if you're getting corrected every week, you tend to pick up on those bad habits and fix those pretty quick. And so that's a huge advantage when you're open to feedback. And that's really what today's message is all about. It's not just about having a hard conversation. It's about being open to feedback, being open to someone saying, hey, there's a better way to do this. Do you realize you're coming across this way or this is happening or whatever? And so that way, if we're open to that, I told you last week, I was going to teach you something this week that would help you turbo your career, really help you advance in the things you want in your life. Nothing advances you faster than letting go of the wrong habits and nothing helps you find those faster than people who love you telling you. And so nothing will make that happen faster. Listen, if you're, watching, if you're in the NFL, you're watching game film. That's why you're a pro. You want to be a pro at what you do? Watch your game film. And where you need to work, correct it. And so that's really what today is all about. Speaking of mission statements, I didn't say that at the beginning, so here I am going to do it right now. What are we here to do as a church? We're here to take as many people to heaven as we can before we die Period. That's what we're all about here at Church Unlimited. I want to dive right, right into the notes today: how to have, a, how to receive a hard conversation. This is based upon Elijah, uh, the prophet, having to confront Ahab, the king. And so, if you got your Bibles, you can turn to First Kings, verse sixteen. I'm going to be going all the way through about three chapters. So I'm going to go really, really fast. And so, you want the notes? We have those, of course, available on your uh, as a download on your app, on the Church Unlimited app. So let's pick up the scripture, First Corinthians 16. Ahab began to rule over Israel for 22 years, but he did what was evil in the Lord's sight even more than any of the other kings before him. And as though it were not enough to follow the sinful example of Jeroboam, he married Jezebel, the daughter of King of the King of the Sidonians, and he began to bow down and worship of Baal. First, Ahab built a temple and an altar for Baal in Samaria. Then he set up an Asherah pole. He did more to provoke the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than any of the kings of Israel before him. So. At first glance, what did the king do? He married the wrong girl. He 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 fell in love with a girl that did not know the Lord. And so, at that point, my question is, where was where was his friends and family? Where was a, a, you know his best buddy growing up or something that could be like, hey, King, you know I love you, but what are you doing with Jezebel? Like that's not that's not the girl for you. Oh, she's awesome, I love her, and da da, da. Well, but you know that she doesn't believe in our gods, and you know all that oh, you know, it's okay. I love her. We'll we'll get through it. We'll just make love work and it'll be, you know, and that whole thing. And so he marries this girl. So then she, of course, immediately says, "I I like my gods. I want Baal to be here. Can we bring Baal into Israel? And he's like, well, okay, sure. And so next thing you know, he's setting up a temple for Baal in the middle of Israel. And Israel is, you know, I mean, all the prophets say over and over again, all throughout the Old Testament, they're like, there's only one true God. There's only one true God. And all of a sudden you're bringing in some other false God. What are you doing? And so then it goes from that to he sets up an Asherah pole, an Asherah pole. Baal was a sex God, by the way, so it was, it was really just a pretty grotesque deal, but basically they would have a house of Baal, and they would have a, a Baal pole, and, and these, these temple prostitutes would come and they would swing around on the pole and dance, and then men would come up and lay cash at their feet, and that was their offering. I mean, it's a good thing it never happens in America anymore, right? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> So this is what they would do. And so this was their form of worship and it just he, it kept getting worse and worse and worse in Israel. Finally Elijah, God's spokesman, has had enough. God tells him, "Go see him." And this is what happens. Here's the confrontation. 1 Kings 17. And then this happened. Elijah confronted Ahab. "As surely as God lives, the God of Israel before whom I stand in obedient service, the next years are going to be a, you're going to see a total drought. Not a drop of dew or rain unless I say otherwise." Let me tell you why that's important, because Israel normally has what's called seasonal rains. It's off of those seasonal rains. Even to this day, they, Israel's number one export is olives and olive products. And so if you don't have rain, you don't have olives. You don't have olives, you don't have an economy in Israel, especially back then. Now they've more, they're more diversified than ever today, but back then it was all olives. And so they didn't have rain, they didn't have gross national product to sell. And so basically, God's like, look, if you're going dis, to disobey me, you're going to bring in this false God. When you know I'm the only true God, I'm going to dry up the rain. So the first thing you know is this. If someone needs to confront you is this. Number one, your actions are creating a drought. Your actions are creating a drought. And so one of the ways you can say, God, is there anything in me that is not right? Just look at your life and see where the drought is, and that's probably where you're not obeying the Lord. And so it's like the guy who said to me, man, my wife, she just is totally unresponsive to me. And I said, well, that means you've probably done something that's making her not want to respond to you. And she's like, I don't know why she just ignores me in the bedroom. Well, you're probably ignoring her in the kitchen or the living room or whatever else. And so in other words, buddy, if you are not responding the right way towards her, then you can't expect her to want to be loving towards you. Or the person comes up to me and says, hey, man, my, my work keeps passing me up for promotion over and over again. I can't figure out why. Well, could it be that they've confronted you about some things you're doing? You haven't changed it. And so guess what? You're not going to get a job promotion because you're, you're being a problem. In fact, the truth is, I hate to break it to you, if, if you're being confronted multiple times by your boss and you still have a job, consider yourself lucky, actually, that they haven't just replaced you. They haven't just gotten rid of you because you're getting passed over promotion because people are, 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 are coming to you saying you need to work on this, you need to work on that, but then you don't work on it don't expect to get, get a promotion. There's going to be a financial drought in your life. Maybe, maybe you are, have some good friends and, and you guys are Christians and you love the Lord and you hang out with them at church and you go out and do different activities with them. But maybe lately someone's confronted you in your friend group and they've really confronted you and said, we don't agree with this or that lifestyle choice you're making and, and this really isn't God-honoring. And you've blown it off and now you're wondering why they don't call you to hang out anymore. You're having a relational drought because you've ignored the confrontation they're trying to have with you. Or maybe your kids, you just, you're not connecting with them well. Could it be that you're not pouring into their lives and so there's a relational drought there? Or maybe you say, I, I feel like God never talks to me. I mean, I'm praying and I come to church and I open the Bible and I just feel like I never get anything out of it. I feel like God's just not talking to me. Could it be that God's been talking to you but you didn't obey last time? So the Lord's like, why am I gonna keep talking to you just giving you more to be disobedient with? So God will just be, I'll just, I'll just go quiet you want to be like this? I'll just go quiet. There's plenty of times in the Bible where God just went silent. He's like, you're not obeying me. Why, why am I wasting my time? And so oftentimes we don't realize we cause a drought in our life. This doesn't mean that every problem we have is, is, is self-caused, but I think a lot of our problems are. And so we may be causing a drought somewhere in our lives. Your actions can create a drought. Now let's fast forward in the story. Uh, Jezebel is crazy as can be. She's really evil. Her father, the king of the Sidonians, uh, was a horribly evil man. Uh, kind of picture him like a Saddam Hussein. If he didn't like you, he would just have you killed or jailed. Like That's, that's just how they did it. And if he was in a good mood, you got jailed. If he's in a bad mood, you just took off your head. Well, guess what? She grew up in that family. So she just did like daddy did. And so she was a conniving, manipulative person. This is why no one names her daughter Jezebel to this day, right? Please do not name your daughter. If you don't know that, do not name your daughter Jezebel. Please, please, please do not do that, okay? But because that's, that's someone who's manipulative. This is someone who knows how, this is a woman who would use her sexuality to get what she wants. Um, she will manipulate. She will lie. She will connive. And, and certainly, I know Jezebel. spirit, women and men can do this too. And so, basically, Jezebel was just known for this. Like, whatever she wanted, she was going to have it, and she didn't care who she hurt in the process, and so she comes up, and she marries this guy, and you know, he's the king of Israel, and she's like, I want Baal worship here. And he's like, okay. So they start to do that. Well, well, the other prophets in Israel, these prophets, they all say the same thing. They're like, there's only one true God. They all say that. And so I'm sure at some point these prophets went to her and said, look, I know you married the king and all, but there's one true God, and that God is over the king. And it doesn't matter who that king is. God, We've seen God replace kings before. And what does she do? She says, kill them all. Kill them all. So she began to kill off all the prophets. In fact, Obadiah, who actually worked for Ahab, God always raises up some godly people in the midst of ungodliness, thank God. And Obadiah protected, he actually hid over 100 prophets himself and paid for for their food and care, which is pretty amazing when you think about it. And so he did that because they were killing them all. Well, Elijah was the most vocal, so he would show up and he would spout off and say to the king, need to change, you need to go tell your wife she needs to repent, this and that, and it, you know, just infuriated him and infuriated her. And of course, she was the one saying, just kill him, find him and kill him. But then every once in a while, when they'd finally get close to getting him, God would just poof, have him disappear. Isn't that cool? And he would be in some district of, of Israel and they'd be like, oh, he's over in the, in the mer- mercantile district. And they'd go over to get him and all of a sudden, poof, he'd be gone. Poof, he'd show up somewhere else. God would like, go, just, I just took care of you. Isn't it good to know that God can always protect you? Like he'll just, he'll just pull you away and put you over here and pull you away and put you over there. And so that's what's, what we see happening with Elijah. Elijah shows up, poof, to talk to Ahab again. He shows up to, to Obadiah in scripture in, in 1 Kings 18. Elijah said to Obadiah, go and tell your master Elijah is here. Oh, sir, Obadiah protested, what harm have I done that you are sending me to my death at the hands of Ahab? For I swear by the Lord your God that the king has searched everywhere to find you, and now you say, go and tell your master Elijah is here? But as soon as I leave you, the Spirit of the Lord will carry you away to who knows where. When Ahab comes and cannot find you, he'll kill me. In other words, don't kill the messenger. This is the scripture we get that from right here. <laughs> he'll kill the messenger because you'll disappear again. Please don't do that. No, no, no. Don't, don't send me in. I find it interesting that they're both talking about Ahab because this is really this is important, because Ahab was one that was being confronted, but he was ignoring it. If, you, if people come to talk to you and they don't get anywhere, eventually they'll be talking in other rooms about you. What does that mean? It means listen to others or you become the elephant in the room. Would you write that down? Listen to others or you will become the elephant in the room. It got so bad, by the way, that when Ahab, when, when Elijah did show up to talk to Ahab, Ahab said, what are you doing here, troublemaker of Israel? Like, you're, you're calling me the troublemaker? Seriously? Isn't it funny how people deflect, you know? So he's literally saying, look at all the problems you're causing, Elijah. Just like, hey, I'm not the one killing prophets over here. You are. So you're telling me I'm the problem? Are you crazy? And so you ever had someone do that? They blame you when you're just trying to help? Like, like, like seriously? Like, I'm, I, I'm the fault, you know? It's like the student who has all Fs. It's always the professor's fault. Like, like but what, did you do your assignment? Well, no, but that professor's a jerk. Well, no, you didn't do your assignment. What, what are talking about? We want to blame other people rather than taking ownership of it ourselves. Finally, Elijah's had enough. He confronts Ahab. He says, hey, Ahab, let's do this. Since you just insist on bringing your wife's gods into Israel, why don't we set up a contest to see which one's the real God? Let's just set this up. And so they've got these two, just like a heavyweight fight, right? They're like, let's bring it on. Let's do this. And so they get together, and and, uh, here's what happens. It says, so Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel, Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, how much longer will you waver hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. Elijah's got some swag, man. He ain't afraid to call it out. He's like, what's up? Right? I mean, he goes full Conor McGregor. He's like, hey, let me tell you something right now. This is what we're going to do. So he goes full Conor McGregor, calls him out. He says, hey, we got the one true God here. You know that? You're a bunch of Israelites. What are you doing following this Baal God? So they bring in all these hundreds of Baal worshipers and hundreds of Baal prophets, and they say, go ahead and do your little Baal thing, set up your altar, and I'll set up my altar, and we'll see which which God consumes the sacrifice. So we'll know real quick who the real God is. So look at the scripture. It says this in 1 Kings 18, they raved all afternoon until the evening time of sacrifice, but still there was no sound, no reply, no response from their Baal God. Now before we go on to what happens next, I want to stop here. I want to just say this about Ahab. Ahab allowed Elijah to set up this contest. If Ahab was really that against Elijah, he just would have said, kill him right now. Ahab really didn't, didn't want Elijah to die. That was his wife talking through him. His wife was using him as a puppet, so she was really running Israel, not Ahab, because Ahab would not stand up to her, even though clearly she was, she was in the wrong. And so this is a problem, right? And the reason I want to mention this is because I think the person you need to confront they probably are not evil. Just like Ahab, they're probably just weak. Now, I want to point this out because I want to encourage you. This is something my wife was teaching me the other day. It's a really powerful principle, Now that is that we don't need to, don't attach motive to the person you need to confront. They probably didn't mean anything bad by it. In fact, they may not even know they even hurt you. And so they probably didn't wake up and say, I really want to hurt them today. That, that probably never crossed their mind, that their actions are, are causing problems. So I want to encourage you, don't, don't attach motive to them. Instead, let's believe the best in people and say, hey, I need to talk with you. I don't think you realize what you're doing. So Elijah's like, look, this is hurting Israel. Look, I know your wife, you're probably trying to please your wife. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Elijah's saying to Ahab, you're probably trying to please your wife, but this is hurting Israel, man. We, we, don't, we don't have these false gods. We're, we're called the chosen people of God. We serve the God of uh, Isaac, Jacob, you, you know, that, that's, that's who our God is. What are you doing? We don't have this false God going on. And so Ahab is just really weak, frankly, and so and I want to point something else out. I, Brene Brown says this. It's really powerful. She says, people with low self-esteem typically do not have the strength, the, the, the mental and emotional stamina to admit they're wrong. So if you're waiting for an apology from this person, it's probably not coming. I just, I'm, I'm trying to help you. You may say, well, that's really disappointing. I, I know, but I'm just telling you, a lot of people are still mad at someone because they haven't received. They're just, If you try to demand an apology from someone who is not able to do that, you're going to be disappointed. Here's why. Because uh, Brene Brown is a researcher of shame. She researches people that carry shame, and we all have some shame to some degree. Thank you in Christ, so we can be forgiven for all those things. But if someone's carrying around shame, and they ha- if they have to admit that they're wrong and apologize to you, then that means they have to carry that. And for people who do not have a strong self-esteem, it's too much for them to carry. It will break them. So what I'm trying to tell you is that have compassion on them. So the goal is not in this confrontation to get an I'm sorry. The goal is to be heard. If you get an I'm sorry, wow, that's just gravy, that's grace, that's wonderful. But I wouldn't wait on that. I'm trying to say this nicely, but if you're waiting for your ex-spouse to show up, knock on the door, drop their knees and go, I see the error of my ways. You may be waiting a long time. If you're waiting for that company that fired you to come to you and say, we just can't run this place without you. You were the difference maker. I don't know what we thought when we've let you go. That's probably not going to happen. So I'm, just, I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm just trying to help you understand that you may have put an expectation on them that, that's not fair. But here's the good news about the cross. The cross covers both sides. The cross brings forgiveness for the one who has hurt you. The cross gives you the stamina and the ability to forgive as well. This is why Joseph when his brothers finally came to him decades later, and said to him, we are so sorry we sold you in slavery. He said, I've already forgiven you. I forgave you a long time ago. So believe it or not, you're getting, you forgiving them is not on their side of the equation. Quit waiting for the I'm sorry. Jesus forgave us before we ever asked. Amen. And so I just want to encourage you, the goal of the confrontation is to be heard, to be understood, but don't wait on the I'm sorry. I hope that helps somebody today because oftentimes this is why we're frustrated. We're waiting for that moment when they fully realize it and they they just may not fully realize it. So look what happens next with Elijah. So he he basically. I'm going to skip some scripture here because it's again three whole chapters. But if you read it, it's pretty funny. He actually taunts the Baal worshipers. He begins to taunt them. He's like, "What's up? What did your God take the day off?" I mean, he literally says this. And at one point, he says, "Is he in the bathroom relieving himself? Like, he got, is he got is he is he on the pot? Is that what's going on?" I mean, he's taunting him. I mean, this is hilarious. They're so furious. They start cutting themselves because this is their devotion to, to their false God. I mean, their worship is disgusting. It's it's horrible. And he's just like, "What in the world? You guys are like idiots. There's no God. This is all." all fake i mean there's your sacrifice he hasn't burned anything up nothing happens and god says all right let's do this okay here's what we're gonna do let's build an altar come on these you know how to do this This is what we used to do when we were following god let's build an altar let's 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 kill this oxen let's get up here let's lay it let's lay it across here pour water on it you know why he did that he was going full david blaine making this look really impossible he's like let's pour water on it because we're going to expect god to light this on fire so let's dump water over it first like what like, that's not, like, don't you mean, like, you know, slip a little, like, gasoline on there? No, 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 water, the whole thing, water. He's like, what? So you're making it hard for God to do this, right? And of course, nothing is too impossible for God. Look what happens. Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, oh, Lord, prove today that you are God. Answer me so these people will know that you are God and you have brought them back to yourself. Can I just stop and point out the confidence of Elijah right now? You know what most of us do? Oh, Lord, I pray you'd heal this person. But God, if you don't, we know you're, so- whoa, whoa, whoa. Why don't you stop and just believe God? Isn't it funny how we do that? Oh, Lord, I pray to you, just help me with this depression. But Lord, if you don't, I'll just stay faithful. No, no, God, I believe you can help with my depression. I believe you can give me a full recovery. I believe I can totally overcome this, and I'm going to stand on that faith. So he says, oh, Lord, prove today that you are God. Answer me these, so these people will know that you are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. Immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, the dust, and it licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw it, they cried out, the Lord, he is God. Then Elijah commanded, seize all the prophets of Baal. Don't let a single one escape. So the people seized them and killed them. He ain't messing around. So he wipes them out. Now, what does this mean for you and me? With it, When it comes to confrontation, here's what he actually did. Number three, test your path. Test your path. If someone's confronting you, let it test the path. In other words, he said, okay, he's confronting Ahab. Here's what we're going to do, man. You think this God of yours is so great this, that your wife has introduced us all to? So let's just have your Baal God and my God toe-to-toe. Let's do this. Which one wins? Go ahead. Who's going to consume, their, who's gonna consume the, uh, the sacrifice? You know, their sacrifice sitting there rotting with flies all over it. This one gets totally consumed in an instant. In other words, our God works. Our God works. Let me just be pragmatic for a moment when you need to confront someone. One of the most powerful things I ever say to someone when I have to confront someone, and one of the most powerful things ever said to me when I've been confronted, has been something like this How's that working for you? Just how's that working for you? When you have to confront one of your kids, you need to do your homework, you got this assignment due in two weeks. Oh, give me a break, mom, dad. I can wait. I can just wait till the last minute. Okay. How's that working for you? Let's look at your grades. Oh, look at that. You're barely passing hmm, so can we all admit that this isn't really working for you? That we're just barely getting by? Do you want a barely getting by career? Because that's what this, this habit instilled today will get you in the real world. It'll get you a barely getting by salary. You know, job stands for just over broke for most people because they do just enough to keep the job so they, the, employee pays, the employer pays just enough to keep you around. I mean, do you really want that? Because this is what you're setting yourself up for. How's that working for you? This is a powerful phrase. How's it working for you? I, I've learned it over and over again when people try to tell me I don't want to follow the way God says to do it, I'm gonna do what I want in my relationship, and I'm gonna I I know this person doesn't honor God, I don't care, I'm gonna enter this relationship anyways. So here's my question six months in how's that working for you? Just the proof's in it right there. Just, oh well, I guess it's not really working. Right. And so God works, His word works. How's it working for you? And when I look at areas that are broken in my life, I can almost always find an area where I disobeyed God. It's not working. When you follow the Lord, it just works. It simply works. Does that make sense? There is a big battle right now in our country for different philosophies on how to live. And the question I would ask you when you're trying to figure out where you stand is this. Look deeply into the philosophies and ask, how have they worked for other people? I would go with the one that works. You can apply that any way you want it. But this is one of the biggest things that's helped in my life As I just look and say, does their life work? What beliefs do they have that got them there? And I bet if I espouse those beliefs, I'll get the same results. How's it working for you? This doesn't mean we're just pragmatic. We, we have principles, but our principles are pragmatic. God works. He's not only right, it also works. So I just want to encourage you, test your path. How's this working for me. Don't be afraid to say that. Look what happens next. At this point, Elijah has now had one of the greatest victories of his life, but he hears that Jezebel's really mad at him for killing all of her favorite guys, all her favorite prophets. And so he says, she says to her husband, Ahab, remember she's kind of running the show not him. She says, you tell Elijah that when I find him, I'm going to kill him. And Elijah, who has just conquered 450 false prophets, is now scared of one woman that goes and runs and hides. I can relate to that, actually. I can totally relate to that. (laughs) No, but the truth is, is that he runs off and he's hiding from this one girl. What that tells me is not that Elijah was afraid. It tells me that Elijah was tired. Because you know what's exhausting? Confrontation. If you have to confront someone again and again, it's exhausting to always be like oh, what are they going to do next what are they going to say next if you're always confronting them it's just oh it's exhausting and something that really helps me is that when i've had people have to confront me before i realized i am the source of someone's exhaustion ouch i don't want to be exhausting people exasperating people where they're frustrating like i don't want people to be thinking what am i going to do with what am i going to do with bill <laughs> he's such a problem i don't want to exhaust people so it kind of gives you compassion if someone is confronting you rather than being defensive to realize this poor soul loves me enough to confront me instead of just walking, instead of just leaving, just getting out of the situation. They're actually, they love me enough to tell me I need to work on this. And that probably is stressful that they even had to think about doing this. I don't want to exhaust them. It gives me a desire to, to change, to want to do it differently. So number four, having to confront is exhausting. So look what happens here. I love it. So then he begins to complain to God, and I love how God does not answer him the way he wants because this shows who's in charge. So this is what he says. He says, But the Lord said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Because Elijah had ran to hide. Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. First of all, we already know that Obadiah has hidden a hundred prophets. You're not the only one. There's literally a hundred of them that we know about that are hidden from just one guy. But he felt like he was the only one. Can I tell you one of the greatest tricks the enemy wants to do on you is convince you that you're the only one going through what you're going through. And that's not true. You're not the only one. I'm the only one who's depressed. Oh, yeah, no one's depressed in this world. No, we're all happy, all of us. I'm the only one who has a weight problem. Oh, yeah, you're right. Everyone else is skinny and in great shape. No one has a weight problem. You've been to the mall lately. You go to the beach. People wearing bikinis, you have no, no business wearing bikinis. People have a weight problem. I'm including myself in that. I don't wear bikinis. this would not be good. What I'm trying to say is is that we think we are the only one with this problem. I'm the only one that's struggling in my marriage. I'm the only one that's having a difficult time at work. I'm the only one that has a a family member that's difficult. I'm the only one. That's just not true. You're not even close to the only one. In fact, there are so many more people dealing with what you're dealing with that there have been thousands of people who have gone before you, had the same issues. There have been books written on it, seminars taught on it, websites devoted to it. You're not the only one. And the reason why the devil wants you to believe in the only one, because then you will sit in your stupor and just cry out to God and go, I'm just, my life is so horrible. Blah, blah, blah. Right. And God says, Get up. Elijah, come here. And so he says, Elijah, come here. Come stand before the mountain. And Elijah's like, God, I just told you I'm the only one, and they all want to kill me, and my life is horrible. And how can you say, Come stand before? And he's like, Yeah, come here. Come stand. I love how God does not even listen to this. You know why? Because God never speaks to you in your disobedience as a disobedient person. He speaks to you as an obedient servant. He's like, no, we're gonna do this right. Get over here. You're do this right. He will not let you falter. He will not let you. He, he loves you enough to speak to the best of you. Not the worst of you. Isn't that good to know God's that way? So he's like, shut your mouth and get over here right now. he stands before God. God says, now watch this, Elijah. And so look what happens next. He says, go out and stand before me on the mountain. The Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. So he's standing there and God says, hey, just want you to stand here now. Check this out. Boom, this wind hits the mountain. It says in the Bible, the mountain had cracks in it. The wind was so hard. Can you imagine? Whoa. I mean, unbelievable. Gale force winds, bam, hit the mountain. God says, I'm not in that. Oh, that had to be you. God's like, oh no, that just means I'm near. That wasn't even me showing up yet. He's like, that was the welcome party before I get here. Then look at that, what happens next? The Lord passed by, excuse me, a mighty windstorm hit the mountain, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. So now he's standing there and boom, the whole, the whole world shakes. He says, not me yet. So this massive wind, Right? After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire. Earth, wind, fire. That'd be a great name for a band, by the way. (laughs) And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire was the sound of a gentle whisper. And a voice said, what are you doing here? So God had just displayed displayed himself in this huge way. Fire from heaven, boom, consumed everything killed all the false prophets of God, this great, huge, powerful victory. And so he's thinking, God, I need you to show up and do something big. And God's like, sometimes I just want to say something small. Yeah, yeah. Could it be that, that you're waiting on God with an earth, wind, and a fire effect, and God's saying, I'm talking to you. I'm just whispering. I wonder if there's a reason why we're always on that phone. Have you noticed it never ends? I can keep scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. Some of you guys like to swipe left and right. I don't do that, but... (laughs) Mm. (laughs) Have you noticed that there's no end to that? It's almost like the world wants to keep our attention so long we never stop to hear a whisper. Boy, you preach it. God is wanting to talk to you. God has a word for you, and it's in the whisper we got Netflix going the whole time, and we got social media on the whole time, and we got the radio going the whole time, and we can't ever be off that phone for long enough for God to talk to us. But someone is here from God today because he's got something to say to you. God is in the whisper. What does this mean? What does this mean? Number four, having to confront is exhausting, but listen to God in the whisper. If you would listen to God in the whisper, maybe you don't need to be confronted by anybody else because then you'll hear God tell you. Because God speaks to us in the whisper. Last part of this. What does he say to him in the whisper? Oh, what he says is is potent, it's powerful, and it hurts. And sometimes God calls me as a pastor to tell you the truth. And sometimes it's going to hurt. And this is one of those moments. I want to tell you that right now. Before I say this, so you're clapping now, but you won't be clapping in a few seconds here. Let me tell you right now, because when God says something, he means it. But I want to tell you, what does he tell Elijah Because Elijah's like, Ahab won't listen. Now they're trying to hunt me down and trying to kill me. Jezebel's after me. And God says, get up here. He basically says, shut your mouth. Come stand before me. Let me show you who I am. And now I'm gonna talk to you in the whisper. And then he whispers something so powerful that he keeps the whisper because it would have shaken all of Israel, which it did. And this is what he said to him. Then the Lord told him, go back the same way you came anoint Hazael to be the king of Aram, anoint Jehu to be be the king of Israel, and anoint Elisha to replace you as my prophet. He was getting older in age and God was saying, okay, your time, you're almost done. And I want you to raise up the next prophet. By the way, those are the older generation who are always frustrated. Oh, I feel like I've missed my time. No, this is your time to mentor. This is your time to raise up the next generation. God still has a purpose for your life. You're not done. don't you dare think you're done? Here's the truth. He says, I want you to go anoint the next king of Israel. But wait a minute, well, I, I thought Ahab was the king. Of, right. Yeah, he thinks he still is too. Now let me tell you something that's going to hurt. If you don't listen to confrontations from people, I'm begging, you, I'm, I, I'm, I'm begging you to hear this. I care for you enough as your pastor to tell you the truth, and I'm, I'm begging you to hear this. If your wife confronts you again and again, you don't listen to husbands, she'll replace you. If you ignore your boss again and again, there's only so many times they're gonna take that, and they'll get another employee. If I ignore God, he can bring someone else in to pastor this church. I'm very replaceable, we all are. We don't like to think we are, but we are. This this church will go on without me one day and probably do better, because that's how God is. He raises up people. But God, I don't wanna miss what you called me to, And so, Lord, when I'm confronted by my spouse or one of my kids or one of my family members or my best friend or someone on staff, I want to listen because I don't want someone else loving my wife. I don't want someone else raising my kids. I don't want someone else pastoring this church. I want to do this. God, please let me stay. Please let me stay. Please let me stay. God doesn't want you replaced. He wants you to flourish where he's called you, but you have to stay under his authority. You got to listen to him. You got to listen. Would you bow your heads with me, every head bowed, every eye closed, and we take a moment to pray right now. I just want to encourage you today. I know it's a tough message. I understand that. But I want to challenge you today. Would you just let me, a spiky-haired ADD preacher with way too much Adidas stuff on, would you just let me talk to you for a moment? Would you just let me challenge you to the core of who you are to listen when God is correcting you? He's not correcting you because he's mad at you. He's correcting you because he loves you. He says, there's a better way. Ahab, I made you king, man. I put you in charge. How do you take such a great position to make yourself miserable? Because you're not obeying the Lord. God's saying to you and me, I can give you everything. I can give you the keys to the kingdom and you can mess it up if you don't obey the Lord. But if you'll just obey God, if you'll just listen to his whisper, if you'll just listen to a loving father's correction. That Heavenly Father's not trying to hold you back. He's trying to propel you forward. Listen to his whisper. With your head bowed and your eyes closed. If God is speaking to you, if he is warning you, if he's calling you into an account, if he is saying, Ahab, I have something better. If you don't do this, and you know the Lord's speaking to you, just lift your hand high to God and say, God, thank you, I hear this. And I repent, I will change, I recognize what I need to do differently. Thank you, God, for a second chance. You're a good God, thank you for that. There are hands going up all across our campuses right now. You can actually put a little emoji hand right now if you're watching us online. Just put that in the box right now. Say, it's me, I get it, I get it, that's me. Thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord. You gotta play the movie. If you ignore that confrontation, you'll get replaced. Ahab ignored the prophet He ended up going to a battle that the prophet warned him not to go into. He died miserably. He bled out on the battlefield. Jezebel is even worse. It looked like a Game of Thrones ending with Jezebel. She was thrown out a two-story window, trampled on by horses and eaten by dogs. I kid you not. Lord, I want to obey you. I do not want the consequences of my sin. So I repent. I hear you warning me. I receive it. You love me enough to warn me. And I love you enough to repent. I'm sorry, God. I want to turn back to you. Every head bowed and your eye closed. If you never received Christ as your Lord and your Savior, you know, one of the things we teach is playing the movie. That means you say, if I don't change, how is this going to end? Well, here's another way to play the movie. Play the movie of your life all the way to the very end, that last day of your life. You're surrounded by friends and family that are, off, that are, that are seeing you. You go. But then play it one more day after you die. Where are you? if you don't have the confidence in where you are, then that means you've never received Christ as your Lord and your Savior. So you can receive him right now by praying a very simple prayer so that when that movie is played and when you pass, you'll be in heaven one day with our friend Gabe. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, you can receive Christ as your Lord and your Savior right now. Pray this prayer with me. You can just say it out loud. Dear Jesus, I realize I need you. I believe you died for my sins. I believe you rose again. I repent of my sins. I ask you to come into my life. Be my Lord and be my Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In your name we pray. Amen. Isn't God good? His word is so true.